This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge the ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everyone and welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast that brings you bite-sized chunks of Australian news, politics and memes, which until recently had a left-wing position because, you know, we've had a conservative government, but, you know, uh, times are changing. The uh, radical leftists over at the Australian Labour Party uh, are in power and so me and Zach, we're doing a little 180 degree switcheroo um, when we're putting on our pickle boy outfits getting our GDP charts, um, and, and we're here for big business. Um, our red tape annihilators. That's right. Yep, yep. It's all about truth to power, Noon. That's right. And, Zach, I have an important question about our identity as a podcast. Now that we've sat through an entire electoral, you know, cycle. Cycle, yeah. Is this season two? Are we doing season two now? I feel like we could call this season two. It's, it feels it's... like season five. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> psycho emotionally. Each you know. season of Oswald Snackpot, as per our five year plan that we set out very specifically when we started the podcast, is each season was going to be 148 episodes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, so welcome we're still to on season track. two. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to season two, everybody. Um, yeah, we took a break for a week after the election because no one wanted to talk or think about politics, least of all us. And then we took another break because Noon got to bib. I got to bib, yeah. But um, yeah. I'm all good now. You feeling uh, okay? Health-wise, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, look, that is one Something. important step forward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing that happened over the last couple of weeks, we got a couple of new Patreon supporters Woo-hoo. over on our Patreon. Thank you very much to Meme Lotion, and also thank you very much to Luca, who increased her pledge. If you want to support the show, you can do so over on patreon.com slash ozpolsnackpod. And we've got another little exciting Patreon announcement, uh, which is, you know, uh, long-term listeners may recall, we did a mini-series called Noon and the Dunce, where I explained Marxism to Zach in, in the form of dank memes. Um, and we are going to do another Noon and the Dunce. N- Noon and the Dunce Season 2, if you will, um, if we get 175 patron supporters. Do a little mini-series where I explain to Zach about psychoanalysis Hopefully with as many dank memes as possible, though, as I've repeatedly texted Zach. There's a lot of really bad psychoanalysis memes, so <laughs> we'll see how we go. Yeah. Yeah, we're currently sitting at like 150-something patrons, so 20 new patrons, you get a bonus mini-series of um, Noon talking shit about memes and Freud. That sounds good. Or even if it doesn't, help us out. We'd really appreciate it. It would be really nice. Uh, Noon. Shall we get into season two of Oswald News? news? Yeah, let's yep. do it. Yeah. Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no. Take it away at once. Yeah, well, the cost of money's going up. Um, interest rates have <laughs> gone up again. Uh, friend of the show, anonymous Patreon supporter, um, sent me a message saying, um, happy not having a mortgage day the other day when <laughs> the, uh, the, the uh, Reserve Bank uh, set the cash rate uh, higher again. I don't understand mortgages, Zach. Um, if they're fixed rate, why do they go up? Mm, checkmate. Uh, Banks. I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, checkmate. Even if you property market. Don't have a mortgage. Everything's getting expensive. Uh, power prices, in particular, are going up massively, especially gas power, which, as Melbourne latte sippers, Zach, we are in one of the gassiest parts of the country it's true um and that's largely because the war in ukraine is driving up gas prices everywhere because europe isn't buying russian gas so they're buying gas from the uae and egypt which means that the japanese are buying australian gas which means that gas is it's more expensive that's the yeah and uh that's the labor the gas party, domino effect exactly yeah. yeah it's funny that we whatever markets um labor is considering using the gas trigger uh, also known as the Australian Domestic Gas Security Mechanism, which basically would make gas exporters export less gas. Um, but the new Labor Resources Minister, Madeline King, thinks that, that is bullshit. It's not a direct quote. Here's a direct quote. 
Right now, it's a long and complicated, convoluted, ineffective mechanism that takes a very long time for it to produce results. We are determined to change that. Um, so yeah, this was something the coalition brought in. Uh, I've heard a lot of commentary, but couldn't find a source for it when I was writing notes. So these are like interviews on ABC of people saying that the like supply isn't the issue so much as that the like east the fact that coast we export. <laughs> no, that's that's not it. The east coast pipeline um, is operating at essentially a hundred percent capacity anyway. It's like ninety eight percent capacity. So huh. like having a bunch more gas sort of at one end of it wouldn't necessarily help all that much in the short term anyway. Um, yeah, why would we solve this other problem? We've got some completely, totally related problem that's also happening at the same time. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so, anyway... That's what being in government's all about. Gas companies like, ah, no, Labour, don't make us not sell things. Uh, we'll see what happens. Other things that we're going to talk about without really talking about too much, I wanted to shout out the Coolabah Herb Unionists. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Coolabah Herbs is a pre-packed salad company. Uh, I believe they're based in Victoria. And uh, workers there have been organizing over the last year and have just won the best wages and conditions of any farm workers in Australia, which wow. is pretty huge. So they got uh, potential wage increases of up to 10% this year plus good protections for labor hire and mm -hmm. casual workers, cool. including overtime for casuals, which so, is huge. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's very like industry leader um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. type shit. Um, yeah, these conditions were met after the workers voted to strike. Striking is good. It gets results. It works. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to send uh, love and solidarity to the Kulba Herb Unionists and say, um, yeah, secure that bag, get that salad. Yeah. Uh, and one more. <laughs> that's right. Um, one more story before we get out of the aperitif section is uh, I just wanted to mention this Extinction Rebellion protester who was charged with disorderly conduct after showing her underwear. Um, yeah, she was. She's been acquitted uh, on the basis that cops are whiny little babies. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. to paraphrase the judgment. I mean. Uh, Finally, the legal system is working as it should. <laughs> yeah, you, you forgot about the whiny baby clause, so... Yeah, this is actually null and void. Uh, this protester's name is named Linda Moylan, goes by the stage name Bandy Cute. Nice. Um, she was a, a, at an joke. Extinction Rebellion protest against Chevron, uh -huh. dressed as a clown. And then, uh, this is what happened uh, according to the judge uh, mm -hmm. in this case. She lifted the back of her skirt and petticoats and for a few seconds pressed her underwear-clad posterior against the foyer window of an office tower. Oh my. She moved in a shimmying action for about six seconds. Now, I'm not a clown expert, um, but petticoats is very funny that she was wearing petticoats. That's an extremely funny uh, part I of guess it. That's not and, even the funniest piece of clothing in this story. Just right. wait. But also, I feel like shimmying, it's not really a a, a butt thing, but... She, like, she... she I can imagine. Waggled her butt around. Yeah, a waggling motion yeah. for six it's like seconds. It's a proper sure. mooning, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's, like, it's, it was underwear clad, an mm -hmm. underwear clad posterior. Mm -hmm. Here's a quote from an article about this in the West Australian. The act was witnessed by two police officers who found her conduct, quote, offensive. A magistrate accepted the officers did see some flesh, but found that they did not see great expanses of flesh. Uh, oh. In his judgment, Justice Mitchell said Miss okay. Moylan, who was wearing layers of clothing and, and says she had polka dot pantaloons on, could not be considered to be immodestly dressed or exposing herself in public. Wow. In other words, cops are whiny little babies who are scared by the sight of polka dot pantaloons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, the alternative to that is that they use laws like disorderly conduct to punish, the, people, to punish people in bad faith. But that couldn't be right. No, I doubt no. it. No. In They're Australia? Upholding justice. Australian cops? Uh, finish off here with a little quote from Linda Moylan herself. Clowning and using performance in a peaceful protest should not be seen as a criminal matter. 
I think it sets a precedent for any other people out there to know as a clown and performer, <laughs> it's not a criminal activity to go about performing. I'm so not sure, technically, that is what it found, but I <laughs> do approve of the sentiment. <laughs> uh, to all of our clowning listeners out there, and I know that there are many of you, yeah. polka dot pantaloon, we've done the clad. surveys. <laughs> yeah. It's in the double digits. We know our demographics. Get out there. Yeah. Rub your butt on stuff. Mm -hmm. The cops legally Powell can't stop, stop you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. Uh, always listen to us, Paul Snackpod, for legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on now to positivity corner. So there's been a very big positive development in the high-profile immigration case of the Muraguppan family. Um, people might be familiar with them. They um, were living in the Queensland town of Biloela Bilo mm -hmm. for several years before. The Morrison government tried to deport them and then imprison them on Christmas Island mm -hmm. for two years. Um, this is a family with two young daughters, one of whom has not experienced a single birthday outside of immigration detention, which is obviously fucking tragic. Anyway, the Home Affairs Minister has always had mm -hmm. the ability to let this family stay in Australia. Totally. They've always yeah. had the ministerial Stroke discretion pen, for it. Exactly. Um, and so a lot of the campaigning around this has been directed at, you know, the previous Home Affairs Ministers. Uh, the new Labour Home Affairs Minister, Jim Chalmers, I think he's only, like, temporarily in the position, maybe? Okay. Um, has granted the family bridging visas, which, well, that's great because now they're out of detention mm -hmm. and they're back in Biloela. You'll notice it's not permanent settlement, so there is yep. still some uncertainty around the future of the family. Uh, because Australia's fascist border policy is bipartisan. Totally. Labour is still very actively and vocally in favour of boat turnbacks, mm -hmm. offshore processing. They should really not be patting themselves in the back too much over this, in my opinion. This is yeah. good. This yep. is good. Yeah. To see, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just Of course, really it's nice. a good outcome for a, a tragic story. It's pretty much what everyone wanted. Yeah. Um, but. You know, the thing about the stroke of the pen business and the minister discretion or whatever, it's like, yeah, obviously it's good that we have someone with compassion for these particular people or who at least sees it's politically advantageous. But, like, what about everyone else? And what about when this guy is out or when mm, public sentiment well, changes very slightly? Or, like, you know... That is very similar to a question that Anthony Albanese was asked by uh -huh. uh, at a press conference by a journalist earlier this week. He was asked, you know... What about other families in similar mm -hmm. situations? Would they also be granted visas? To which Albanese replied uh, by basically completely dodging the question, rambling about the Muraguppan family being parts of the local community for a bit, and then saying, I'm very proud we brought this family home. And then he started talking about how expensive it was to keep them in prison. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um, having said that, it's basically impossible to outbasted the coalition on this particular issue. I mean, oh, of it's, course, of course. You know, Christine Labour... clearly kept trying, and she never succeeded. <laughs> it's um... very, um, you know, you adopted the racism. I was born in it, molded by it, or whatever the Batman line is. Don't sure. You know, I don't care. <laughs> While you were pretending to appeal to progressives, <laughs> I studied. Turnbacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you might remember Stuart Robert, a former Morrison government minister. He's now currently the shadow assistant treasurer, which is obviously a good job for someone who tried to expense $38,000 for his internet bill. Creative he said accounting, this. Zach. It's the main qualification needed. <laughs> he said, he's got experience handling large sums. Exactly. Um, yeah, Stuart Robert said this in response to those comments from Albanese. The family were found not to be owed protection by every court in the land. So on what basis is Mr. Albanese very proud of his decision to give them permanent residency? Which he got wrong. They haven't been given permanent oh, residency. Visa, as you said. Yes. Yeah. What advice did he receive? Or did he just, under weight of public opinion, decide to sweep aside every court judgment and make this decision? And what impact will this have on the people smugglers networks? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He also went on to say that he, quote, understands compassion our hands should be filled with grace, which is an extremely weird way to say I am a huge fascist, but... Well, it's also a weird right. way to say I know this directly conflicts with my professed 
intense Christian faith. And I just want to let you all know the cognitive dissonance is alive and well. I still <laughs> think I'm a good person. Um, I think that's what that is. I think that you're totally right. So yeah, look, love and solidarity to the Murugapan family and all Absolutely. of the networks and, and activists that have supported them. Not you, Christina. Yeah. And now hopefully that energy will be turned towards hammering labor on their border mm -hmm. policies more generally and getting justice for, you know, everybody else who has been wrongfully imprisoned and, and abused by our immigration detention system. Thanks for that surprisingly positive positivity corner. Yeah, look, it, despite all of the, like, fucked shit surrounding the story, it is so nice to, like, just... have a story about this family, and you see, and the, the kids are smiling, you know, they're back it's home, beautiful. you know, and... the, the youngest daughter is about to celebrate her first ever birthday out of detention, you know, normally, the, like, the photos of the kids, like, they're so clearly in distress, they're being yeah, separated yeah. from their parents, you know, they're whatever and so and it was that nice was, that, that, that like, was really heartwarming for the first time of after having been like you know forced to fly in a bunch of different from prison to prison basically yes, yes. That they got to be on a normal flight together as a family and like totally. they got served food that just really touched yeah. me as like a like what the fuck are we doing to these people man like yeah it's yeah it's gross and also delightful that they're at yeah for now hopefully it continues hopefully good stuff will keep happening yeah yeah okay time to move on let's elections generally not that fun there's too much politics going on at the moment don't blame me i voted for kodos go well sadly we're probably not going to hear that sting too much for the next little while but we we haven't done a proper episode since the election so i thought do a little uh, roundupy kind of a um, thing, but hey, noon. What happened? Yeah, you all know what happened. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, okay, next next segment. section. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Labour got a thin majority. Uh, lots of oh. teals got in, knocking out all the juiciest plums. Uh, more <laughs> greens in both houses. <laughs> you know, the ban on you talking about juicy plums. <laughs> I love plums. I know you do. Plum jam, povidal, delicious. Um, the Labour Party got wiped out, and Pauline Hanson is the Liberal Party. Or the Sorry, Labor Party? Liberal Party. Liberal Party got wiped out. Labour Party also did pretty badly, despite getting a two-seat majority. Um, and Pauline Hanson is most likely going to get back in after it looking briefly like she might not, which would have been mm. obviously good. But the person who won't be getting in is horrible transphobe Amanda Stoker? The liberal uh, senator? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I thought they were in competition for that last Senate seat. Also, the uh, legalized Cannabis Australia was the other candidate for a while, but I think yeah. that was like he got counted out basically and you're right it was between the the, the third level pauline yeah um and like yeah i don't know which is worse there i think probably... as in either pauline or amanda stoker getting back exactly in. I, I think probably having amanda stoker in would be the lesser of two evils in this particular case because it would crush pauline hansen's one nation party uh, I, in... I did see someone speculate that she would, like, force Malcolm Roberts to resign and take his seat, which is... I think he would defect rather than do that. There's no would. way. He He's would. a fucking sovereign citizen. He's a living, breathing soul. He is. <laughs> He's not going to take that shit lying down, exactly. colon apostrophe. Yeah. Uh, the big takeaway seems to be that people don't like the major parties. Um, I suspect we will see the Labour Party not learn anything from this because now they've ended up with a teeny-weeny little majority, they can pretend that this was a victory and mm. not a loss that they ended up on the top of. Um, similar in the Liberal Party, they're really trying to learn something, but are <laughs> systematically incapable of it. Um, Peter Dutton has been elected the leader of the Liberal Party, which shows you how few choices they have. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's funny. I always really thought it was point. funny that Josh Frydenberg was, I think we talked about this a couple yeah. episodes ago, that he's like their charismatic one yeah because <laughs> he's just so but mediocre it's a, all he things like are relative right he's not a, he's not a pickle to be fair he's not a pickle boy he's he's got a little bit more no. yeast in him than that but he does look a little bit like 
a kind of smaller, squishier Peter Dutton. He looks like a sweet potato. Yes, yes. And yeah. he, yeah, had a, a, a sousson of humanity, uh, <laughs> or at least apparently. But now he's gone, and also all of the moderates are gone. So they mm. were like, literally, Peter Dutton is... He's the our only option, and it was really funny in the like watching the media before the the like ballot actually happened, where they were desperately mm. trying to find anyone who it could be a story about that it <laughs> might be other than Dutton, and like, oh, maybe Stuart Robert, maybe Angus Taylor, and everyone else was like, it's well, it's going to be very Dutton. clearly going to be Peter Dutton. Dutton. <laughs> so, yeah, and and then here it was, and so we got him doing a little publicity spree. There was that front page, I think it was Good Weekend or something, with him sitting in like a blank like gunmetal gray chamber um and it was like peter dutton softer side or whatever <laughs> <laughs> um and the media watch story i think someone posted it in the else portion mm. posting facebook group which we are the official podcast of go and join answer the questions so you won't get in they posted the, someone posted the media watch segment on him and they were like the murdoch press has been running Dutton is Dutton's softer side stories for like five years now. <laughs> like that's funny. <laughs> they were digging out all the. I mean, we all remember he's not a monster. The best possible quote <laughs> yes. they could get from his wife. <laughs> but like, there was a, yeah an earlier one that I'd forgotten about where he was like, uh, "Oh, now I'm on the back bench. Um, well, I can have a drink. You know, I enjoy a drink like everyone else, and I can perhaps show the side the public uh, doesn't see." And <laughs> just like you, what you've had five years <laughs> of like attempted media rehabilitation, and nobody has been able to make anything stick other than literally you or Voldemort. <laughs> I know Scotty from marketing is often used derisively, but he was. Essentially, the second most evil guy in the Liberal Party, and then he was suddenly like, "Oh, I don't cook chicken very well." Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and there was a, uh, a, a cracky headline that I think reinforces what you were just saying, Zach. Um, Peter Dutton wants us to reimagine him, forgetting the persona he spent years shaping. Um, and he's trying, like, part of the issue is he's trying to be everything to everyone. Uh, he wants to win back the moderate inner city seats, or else they can't win an election. Yeah, definitely won't um, happen. Yeah, and he also wants to keep appealing to the voters that Morrison was trying to target, who he thought would be swing voters in former safe Labour seats on urban fringes of big cities who the Liberals think don't like trans people. And then they also want to keep the Nats on board who want to ignore climate change, so they basically don't have a base anymore. Um, mm. Like, But his main motivation is that he wants to be a leader, <laughs> which well, is getting in the way now. of every, every single one of, those, one of those other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that actually reminds me of something I forgot to put in the notes, but listener, this is my uh, hot political analysis um, that you can take as a nugget to drop on other people, which is that like everyone loves saying that the leader who takes over a party after they lose an election never leads... Sorry, after they lose government, never leads them to the next election. Mm. So... They're like, Peter Dutton's just a temporary fill-in, and then they'll get someone else in in a couple of months once they've sorted everything out. But both of the major parties changed (laughs) their knifing rules, so that can't happen anymore. So it's just not going to happen anymore. Sorry. Yeah. And despite this, um, oh, I'm going to be nice. Uh, He's not a monster business. Um, He was immediately a huge asshole after taking over the leadership. Um, he blasted the decision to return the Murugapan family to Biloela. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. wrote an article in the Australian leaking sensitive information about submarine deals. Um, uh, which okay. <laughs> he Look, to be fair, he says it's not a leak. It was all public information. But pretty much everyone in the defense industry, in international <laughs> relations, economists, like defense, are all like, You were in charge of this as a minister. You can't write an article like this. Um, Watch him get paid off it when he's out of office. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and so anyway, that's that's the Liberal Party. Labour Party, uh, since they won the election, they've mostly been focused on international stuff, um, just kind of coincidentally by timing, but also that's a bit of a tradition for the leaders to go and, like, meet leaders of other countries, go to Indonesia... Um, Albo met Jacinda Ardern uh, Penny Wong did a big tour of the Pacific to basically be like hey we know those guys were sh- shitheads Shit um, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that we'll try to be less 
brutally awful. Um, and that's managed... our whole brand. <laughs> yes, less Marginally brutally awful. less brutally awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like imagining Penny Wong schmoozing, like, the men of world leadership. I don't know why. I just figure it should be fun at swanky parties. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm ha- I'm happy to let you have that. Have that one. <laughs> Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm gonna but... say she's not on my dream blunt rotation, but <laughs> no, I think she would probably like act blokey in a fun kind of way, and I think it would be funny watching her like drinking I'm them sure under that the she's table. Like an extremely practiced, high-powered socializing machine. Yes. Who like, yeah, can work a room extremely knows when it's time to smile for the cameras and knows when it's time to do yeah. six tequila shots uh yeah. in the back room deals pleasure in witnessing an expert you know <laughs> just really in their element yeah. so from that perspective sure i'll right. i'll agree with you <laughs> anyway that's uh, what's a super well considered position anyway, um <laughs> but the only things that they've done other than that is kind of panicking over economic disasters that they have little control over like gas prices floods destroying lettuce leaving cabbages and burgers mm. and um china uh, well it's important to flail your hands about that because your next sentence afterwards is and that's why we're not going to raise welfare. Correct, yeah. Yeah, they haven't really seemingly done anything very much yet, but to be fair, Parliament hasn't sat. They're all getting sorted. It's the first couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. They're trying to get their pieces in a row, for example, in NDIA, which I'll talk about in a minute. But first, Zach, we have a First Nations story. Yeah, a couple of things I wanted to touch on um, in, a, in a First Nations story this week. So... Uh, First up, I wanted to talk about uh, Tasmania is planning to raise the age of detention. So they'll be raising basically the minimum age at which you can imprison a child, which is currently at 10 uh, across Australia. They'll be raising it to 14. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an important First Nations story because, as we've discussed many times on the show, Indigenous kids are imprisoned far out of proportion with the rest of the population, yep. 17 times more than yep. non-Indigenous kids uh, nationally. And even in Tasmania, which has the least pronounced disparity, Indigenous kids are still imprisoned at more than four times the rate Whoa. of non-Indigenous kids. So this change has been scheduled to happen in 2024, this mm-hmm. uh, raising of the age of detention, which is going to coincide with the closing of the only children's prison in Tasmania. Right the Ashley Youth Detention Centre. Which sounds... I was going to say really bad, but I mean, like, even worse than a children's detention centre inherently must be. Oh, it's really... Yeah, and so it's being being closed after, like, just the absolute most horrifying revelations of abuse of the kids that were imprisoned there. This has been kind of an ongoing rolling situation. Mm. Like, you know, it's being kind of... been exposed piece by piece over the last it's couple of years and it was mostly the result the of today as well I yeah think. exactly yeah. there's a big expose and there's uh, i think 60 minutes is going to talk mm-hmm, about it as mm-hmm. well but yeah it was mostly the work of a single uh whistleblower who was kind of you know who was employed there um to kind of see why things were so fucked and immediately was like oh my god <laughs> this is so impossibly bad so there's sh- yeah that place is getting shut down as well theoretically in 2024 um so, yeah, I mean, every bit of evidence tells us imprisoning kids helps nothing. It literally just makes everything, everything worse. worse. It makes it yeah. massively more likely they'll be criminalized in the future. It's yeah. just, like, unimaginably traumatizing. Uh, I've got a quote here from an ABC article. Um, and they quote, the Aboriginal advisor to Amnesty International, a bloke called Rod- Rodney Dillon, says, this is a big step by any government to do that. And for a Tasmanian government to do that, I think it's a great step to make other states look at doing the same thing. This could change the lives of a lot of kids not ending up in a prison system. Mm. Uh, I do want to draw an important distinction between raising the age of detention and raising the age of criminal responsibility. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, so they're different. Um, so raising the age of the criminal responsibility of criminal responsibility from ten to fourteen is like a major, is, a, is an ask of a, a campaign that people might be familiar with the raise mm. the age campaign. Mm. Um, so at the moment, I think the ACT is the only state that has like solid plans to progress with this. But, um, you know, people in Tasmania are like, yeah, look, 
this first step is good, but we obviously need to raise the age of criminal responsibility as well, because as it stands, kids as young as 10 can still be criminalized, just not imprisoned. They can be arrested. They can still be put in adult prisons on remand, for example. Right. Right. Um, got a quote here from the co-chair of Change the Record, which is an indigenous coalition, uh, a coalition of indigenous organizations focused on preventing incarceration of indigenous people. This announcement stops, stops short of the reforms we need, not just to keep children out of prison cells, but to ensure children under 14 are never arrested, handcuffed, or put in police lockup, but are instead supported with therapeutic and age-appropriate services when they need our help. Elsewhere, the Tasmanian Aboriginal Legal Service said that the government should be raising the age of detention to at least 16. Yeah, so, yeah. The headline is that this is a positive step and will put Tasmania ahead of the entire rest mm -hmm. of the country, mm -hmm. but it's a small step in the right direction. Yeah. You know. And the, I, you sent me an article about it that mm. said that um, in like serious cases when there was a risk to the community or something along those lines, they can still imprison people. Yeah. Uh, like they're, they're leaving a back door open for themselves. Yeah. To like, yeah. Still put Except some if kids. we really want to. Yeah, um, but look, the you know the fact that any any state is at, at least attempting to push Absolutely. this you yeah. know kind of push forward in this policy area is great because there's a bit of a, like a, I don't know a game of chicken happening where state like the states have the power to change this obviously because Tasmania has just yes. done that yeah. and yeah and it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the same with. Uh, the you know age of criminal responsibility as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but all states are being like oh we need a national approach so we're not going to do it and you know this is just like uh -huh. to see to see a state breaking out of that being like ah fuck it like we'll just actually do this thing to make the world less bad yeah, yeah and like good. obviously you know it's on a smaller scale there that have got a single youth detention center yeah, aka yeah. children's prison mm -hmm. um in the state but like yeah Good move, not enough, do more, other states catch the fuck up. The other thing I wanted to mention here in the First Nations section was this campaign called Karanjala Mawajari, which I believe translates to police ceasefire. So right. this is organized by senior elders, families and community members from the Walpuri Nation. Um, this is in the wake of the acquittal of, you know, Constable Zachary mm -hmm. Rolfe for the shooting mm -hmm. of young Walpuri man Kumanjai Walker in Yundamu. So the main ask for this campaign, um, as you can imagine, is for guns to be taken out of indigenous out communities, of which is sure. obviously yeah. no brainer. needs to happen now, overnight. Um, I'm also going to read a bit from uh, the campaign's website here. Everything that has happened to our community over the last 15 years has been in the context of the racist Northern Territory intervention. We are calling for an end to all discriminatory powers and laws that were introduced with the Northern Territory intervention and a restoration of our community control. Funding for punitive agencies empowered by the intervention needs to be redirected into our expert community services. Uh, so they're talking about that, you know, like the Racial Discrimination Act was suspended when the Northern, when the government did the Northern Territory intervention. Like, these are just these were laws that were considered racist even by the standards mm -hmm. of Australian laws. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know, a very specific uh, uh, ask there and a broader kind of policy one as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to draw to attention to two things that you could do to support this campaign. One is there's, there's a National Day of Action coming up next Saturday. That's the 18th of June. There's going to be rallies all around the country. You can check the Karanjala Morajari Facebook page for more info on that. And there's also a fundraiser, which you can uh, donate to, to support the campaign. We'll be linking that in the show notes. And then you can find the links there to um, the Facebook page and, and uh, other useful resources on, the campaign. on that campaign. Yeah. Cool. So now it's time for... Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Uh, yeah, we may, should probably make a new sting for this, but... Yes. Um... Listeners may remember a couple of episodes ago, we had our sort of snack pod family potluck. We had a number of people send in a bunch of potlucks about stuff they were passionate about. It was a great episode. Everybody loved it. We won many podcasting awards. Mm -hmm. um, one se segment that got particularly good feedback was our friend Sam talking about climate policy. 
and Sam is somebody who knows a lot about climate policy. And yeah. was like, I could do a whole a more. podcast yeah. of my own of this. We're like, well, you you should just send in potluck after potluck to our show. And so we're hoping to make this a regular thing. Um, so I'll make another Sam specific sting for it nice. next time. But nice. uh, this week, Sam's going to talk a little bit about carbon offsets um, for a few minutes. Uh, and uh, here it is. Hello everyone, it's me, Sam, back again with some thoughts about climate policy. Today I'm going to talk about carbon offsets and a couple of the many reasons why they're a bit bullshit. So in basic terms, an offset is essentially a reduction or removal of greenhouse gases that is used to compensate for emissions that are occurring elsewhere. For example, I drive my car to work every day, but I also plant some trees to offset those emissions. These offsets can be commodified in the form of carbon credits, which can be bought and traded on the carbon market. There are a few key principles that are supposed to be observed when companies are generating and buying offset credits. First, the activity has to be effective and measurable. It has to actually result in emissions being reduced in a quantifiable, observable way. Second, the principle of additionality. The activity has to result in a reduction that only happened because there was a market for offset credits. This principle is sometimes interpreted as the emissions reduction wouldn't have happened without the activity i.e. I would have released one tonne of CO2 unless I started riding my bike everywhere. That's actually not good enough. It's meant to be the extra step that I wouldn't have started riding my bike everywhere without the revenue provided by the offset credit I earned by riding my bike. So this is a very sensible principle designed to stop companies making bank from activities they could afford to do anyway and should be doing because of, you know, the climate crisis. And because it is a very sensible principle, it has been mostly ignored in Australia. The third principle is that offsets are meant to be the last resort. They're only meant to come into play after all other actions to create absolute emissions reductions, not compensatory reductions, have been taken. A business should only be able to purchase offsets after they've already switched to renewable energy, supported workers to take public transport or bike to work, scaled down international travel, all those very polluting things, in order to deal with any residual emissions they can't viably get rid of otherwise. This is another very sensible policy that has been completely ignored in Australia. So there are like so many problems with offsets and the way they're used here that it's hard to know where to begin. But today I'm going to look at two reasons why the type of activities most often used to generate offsets might not actually be doing very much to help the climate. Revegetation and planting trees, stopping deforestation, those classic feel-good offsets are lovely and if done properly they have loads of ecological co-benefits like providing habitat and protecting biodiversity. But two things. First, newly planted vegetation takes a while to kick into gear as a large-scale carbon sink, i.e. it takes a while for trees to grow. Second, forests are pretty vulnerable to bushfires, droughts and all the other climate stresses we're going to be seeing more of in coming decades. So a company emitting a bunch of CO2 that's going to stick around in the atmosphere for hundreds of thousands of years and saying it's okay because we're going to pay for some trees being planted, which might not make it past their first few years of life, is obviously pretty problematic from any perspective other than making the company look good to stress people in the supermarket just trying to pick the least bad type of bin bags. And the other issue with the effectiveness of offsets I want to talk about today is like a bit more complicated and it has to do with this truly marvelous, extremely complicated system called the carbon cycle. Friends. Buckle in. The carbon cycle is the overarching term for the different ways that the element carbon shuffles around the Earth's water, life forms, rocks, and air. It has two broad subcycles: the fast carbon cycle and the slow carbon cycle. And I promise this is relevant to offsets, but you should be interested anyway because it's fucking fascinating and also what keeps you alive. So the slow carbon cycle, well, it's real slow. Carbon takes about 100 to 200 million years to take its trip around the world this way. It starts with rain. Carbon in the atmosphere combines with water, which makes a very slightly acidic substance. When this rain falls to earth, it gradually dissolves rock and releases various elements that flow to the ocean via rivers, streams, so on. When the ions hit the ocean, a bunch of cool chemistry things happen that I don't really understand, and a magic substance called calcium carbonate is produced, which is what little sea creatures use to make their shells, and also plankton and coral use it as well. So when these sea creatures die, they sink to the floor and over time layers of shell and sediment build up and get squished together and the carbon gets stored in the rock. This is how most rock is made, but about 20% of carbon containing rock is made from living things on land dying and getting covered in layers of mud and very, very slowly and gradually sinking and getting compressed, similar to the seafloor situation but on land, into other types of rock. 
In very special cases, when dead plant matter has built up faster than it decays, layers of organic carbon in these massive mud pies become oil, coal, and natural gas. Fossil fuels, because guys, they're literally fossils. So, now our carbon is chilling in rock form, whether it's tasty fuel rock or just normal rock, but it's not called the carbon cycle for nothing. Our journey is not done. In the slow cycle, carbon eventually returns to the atmosphere through volcanoes. When volcanoes erupt, they shoot carbon molecules back up into the atmosphere and voila, it all begins again about 100 to 200 million years after our little carbon atom first fell to Earth in a raindrop. Now, there is also confusingly a slightly faster element to the slow carbon cycle, which has to do with the exchange of carbon at the Earth's surface, but it's very complicated and I think we might leave it for now. So the fast carbon cycle is the one that involves you, me, the dog, trees, etc. This is the one that involves photosynthesis, respiration, all those fun things you hopefully learned about in like year nine science. So plants and phytoplankton, which are little organisms in the ocean, suck carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, use energy from the sun and turn it into delicious oxygen and water. People and other plants, no, people and other animals, eat the plants or the plants and phytoplankton die and decay or plants are burnt. Any of these processes result in carbon dioxide, which is usually released back up to the atmosphere. Voila, fast carbon cycle. Now you may ask, and it would be a fair question, Sam, this is all very interesting and good, but aren't we meant to be talking about climate policy and offsets? Yes, we are. So the relevance to offsets is the contrast in how quickly we are burning fossil fuels and putting carbon in the atmosphere compared to how quickly the Earth's natural systems usually process carbon through the slow carbon cycle, which is how those fossil fuels were formed in the first place. So basically with offsets, we're trying to make up for taking a whole bunch of carbon out of the slow cycle and pumping it into the atmosphere much more quickly and at much higher rates than would normally have happened by trying to get more carbon processed through the fast carbon cycle, i.e. consumed by plants and turned into oxygen and water. That's how most offsets works. You plant trees. It's the fast carbon cycle. So the problem is that carbon isn't really stored for very long in the fast carbon cycle at all. It happens over the course of a plant's lifetime, which unless you're like a really big, venerable, several hundred year old tree in one of those like beautiful preserved pockets of old forest in Tassie or something, it's rarely more than a few decades. So even if we can get a few million tons of carbon out of the atmosphere by storing it in soil or trees or whatever, it's not going to stay there long enough to make up for all the additional CO2 being, CO2 being put in the atmosphere way ahead of when it was meant to be there. So it's not really accurate to say that most methods used to create carbon credits are offsetting the emissions from burning fossil fuels. It's our old friends apple and oranges. Very different. The slow carbon cycle simply does not move anywhere near fast enough to process carbon at the rates we're emitting it into the atmosphere, and there is nowhere near enough land space or enough nutrients for enough plants to grow to suck it out either. So that's the carbon cycle and another problem with the effectiveness of offsets. Yeah, uh, look, I haven't run this past Sam, but I th think that's the reason why we need to be growing vast fields of hemp or bamboo, I guess, and pyrolyzing it, which is to say burning it without exposure to oxygen, and therefore turning it into charcoal, which can be buried. Um, but Sam, if that's not a good idea, please ex explain why in your next one, because that, that was great. Yeah, I think the offsets have always been suspect to me because it's very, it's very clearly, we're not taking climate action. Uh, but here's a way we can kind of look like we are. Uh -huh. uh, but to have it laid out like that, even, you know, say, like, it's not, they're not used properly because, of course, they're not because it's Australia. But even if they were, having it laid out why, like, that's much less effective than just, like, not burning the fossil fuels in the first place. Hmm. Very, hmm. very illustrative. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we just need suggestion. to be deeply suspicious of any so-called climate action that doesn't actually involve like changing mm. our industrial base um, yes yeah whole um, economy yeah but that was fascinating sam thank you so much uh, and stay much. tuned for more adventures in carbon with sam maybe that's what we can call the i like it yeah. uh the segment going forward um taking sting ideas now send them in uh okay now it's time for shit post of the week uh, but it's also time for 
Say what you will about Pauline. Corey Bernardi's right about this. You know, one. you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel 7. Say what you will about far right Christian Dom Perrette, Premier of New South Wales. He's. He did a good joke. He posted a meme. He did, yeah. Well, so, uh, another from his social media team headline. posted a meme. Yeah. It's unclear if it's him featured in it, really. But it pains us to say it, but Dom Perrottet's Gladys Berejiklian state of origin shit post is funny. Thanks, pedestrian. That is true. <laughs> um, so, of course, you'll remember uh, Gladys Berejiklian, known to other people as former Premier Berejiklian, um, posted a thing saying, getting ready for game one go to the New South Wales Blues, and she was standing holding a Coke can in a weird hotel room looking kind of thing, standing 30 to 40 metres away camera. from yeah, the Yeah, looking at a tiny TV on the wall with a couch situation, some yeah. weird blinds. A classic you, you entry know what the meme in was. the hallowed tradition of Australian politicians having extremely shanked home sports watching setups. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Dom Perrette now Premier of New South Wales after having <laughs> Bear Juslaman resigned, posted the same thing with him in the same setup, and he, like, organized the room to look the same. And it's a pretty good job, I have to say. It real like, it's immediately recognizable. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, you know. He's, it was funny when she did it, now he's making fun of her. It's good. It hasn't been memed particularly because... It's hard to make no, fun of it someone doing that. No, it itself is already that. a variation on. It, it's yeah, on exactly. The meme. It's just but a I, year late addition to <laughs> correct to the, pre- to the previous posting. meme yeah. pylon. So, yeah. though in a way, all the sweeter for waiting. It's like you know, sure. there's, there was this trend in Simpsons bought posting for a while of like you know frame posting where they're like, I've lost the third frame of the meme. It's in the comments, and then in the comments there'll be a the third frame of the meme, or other various things, frame posting, it's called. And there was a, a, a variation that was like, I've lost the third panel of the meme. Where is it? It posted 366 days from now. And then they set an alarm on their phone, I guess, and come back and like post the final panel being like, oh, there it is. Um, and I feel like Dom Perrette is kind of, you know, tapped Someone into that Someone thought of this meme nine months ago and was like, this is going to no, kill. No, no, no. We'll save it. Um... <laughs> But, yeah, there weren't that many spin-offs of it, so I thought I'd just get two classics from when Gladys did it. <laughs> the first is uh, from at underscore W Kelly underscore on Twitter. Gladys Berejiklian watches New York Eve 2015 unfold in Manchester, UK, and it's It'd that... It'd probably be New Year's Eve, I imagine. What did I say? <laughs> New Eight? York Eve. New York Eve, that's a funny little brain <laughs> fart there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Unless there's um, a, a district of Manchester called New York, which... I really wouldn't be wouldn't surprised surprise if there me. was. Yeah. yeah, but um, but it's the one that like was like Renaissance painting framed <laughs> or whatever, and there's all of these yeah, interesting lighting, and Gladys is in the corner. And then the other one from Benjamin Miller and Twitter of... Um, uh, Bernie Sanders watching the Trump inauguration in his little mittens, and Gladys is standing in front of him, looking at him. It's, it's good shit. A fucking little c- coke, no sugar, just kills me. It's, it's just, it's such an iconic photograph. It really, like, I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm having a renewed appreciation for the brilliance of the original post. If any, like, if it's- we need to credit Dom Tato Peritot with. Anything. It's reminding us of how fucking amazing that initial post was, made in yeah. complete earnestness. It's got almost like Tank Man vibes. She's just standing there. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, let's yeah, move she's on. the silent observer of all of history. Exactly. The Veldgeist. <laughs> yeah. Observing the Veldgeist <laughs> as Bernie Sanders. Cladis Veldgeistian. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, To wrap up the show, we've got a little main segment. I sort of mentioned this earlier about the NDIA. I said that the Labour Party hasn't really quite been doing things yet. They've been getting things organized to do things and, like, putting out releases and saying, we're very concerned about this, about things. Mm, And please don't yell at us for not doing good stuff because we swear to God that we can't do it. It was either everyone else's fault or out of our control for the next two and a half years. Mm. Um, Yeah, so, but uh, Bill Shorten has been made the minister for the NDIS, which everyone kind of knew that he would. And I think I said uh, 
I was kind of hopeful about that I get the impression that he, unlike nearly any other member of parliament, or minister at least, actually cares about the thing that he's in charge of um, and seems to actually want to have good results for the people with disabilities that are accessing the NDIS, which is like mind-blowingly different from, for example, the Home Affairs Minister, as we discussed before, or like, yeah. And, and shortly after him coming in, the CEO of the National Disability Insurance Agency, the NDIA, which operates the NDIS, the head of that has resigned. He's a guy called Martin Hoffman. He was appointed in 2019 by Stuart Robert, um, obviously a huge piece of shit. Stuart Robert appointed this guy, the CEO, as a goon to destroy the NDIS from the inside out. Correct. And yeah. they made pretty good inroads into that. But Bill Shorten, who was, uh, when he was in opposition, was extremely critical. And he said, for example, I haven't spoken to anyone in the disability sector who has a good word to say about Mr. Hoffman. Because um, that's and... his job. He was put there to be a huge bastard to disable exactly. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and since Labour have won the election, people have been wondering um, if he's going to be fired. Uh, he's now resigned, and it's unclear whether Shorten was involved in that, told him to resign, or if he just knew he needed you to You can't do that. fire me, I quit. Whatever. Don't really know. He's gone. It's definitely good. Various disability activists, uh, Samantha Connor from People of Disability Australia and Jordan Steele-John, the Green Senator of Western Australia, um, have called for the next CEO to be someone with a disability, which seems like obviously a good idea. Yep. Um, I have heard that the NDIS uh, has a really horrible culture of how they treat their disabled employees, um, of which there are quite a few, but they get treated like shit, so... Chalk that up under both extremely depressing and predictable. Yes. So, as you said, Zach, uh, Martin Hoffman oversaw a lot of the terrible stuff that happened in the NDIA over the coalition's term, mm -hmm. specifically cost-cutting measures uh, like using robo-debt-esque algorithms to cut people's NDIS mm. budgets. So, this is from Yeah, they had a fucking, like, budget-slashing task force. <laughs> yeah. They and were they... literally called, like, the Razor Team or some shit like that. Yeah, and, and the, yeah, raise again, yeah. Um, raise again, yeah. Fucking the, hell. Uh, they had this plan to bring in independent assessments, and there was yeah. a lot of noise kicked up about it, and they were like, okay, it's fine. We won't yeah. call it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and they did it anyway. And basically, it was this thing where they used an algorithm to cut money much in the same way as the robo-debt people, uh, robo-debt algorithm was used. So mm. this is from an article in Innovation Australia. The determinants of the algorithm personas had not been subject to any independent external design or ethics scrutiny. Almost universally, health professionals express serious concern regarding what many consider to be a significant risk of harm. What is happening is widespread dangerous and massive cuts to plans without warning, without explanation, without evidence being read or considered. Um, and there are these three examples here, which I'm going to read out. It's a bit of a long quote, but I think it's worth kind of like remembering the specifics of what this means when we talk about yeah. like budget cuts yeah yeah so consider the child with a rare genetic incurable terminal disorder requiring 24 7 support whose ndis funding was cut by 40 percent without warning the child bedridden and unable to move due to his degenerative condition the child's mother described the cuts as being at dangerous levels as the young man with severe intellectual disabilities needing help to eat, get dressed, and use the bathroom had his NDIS funding slashed by tens of thousands of dollars as the agency determined the funding was not, quote, value for money. Jesus his mother Christ. quit her job to provide 24-7 care. And the young man with autism, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, who uses a wheelchair and needs constant supervision had his funding unexpectedly cut in half. His funding was cut to the point that none of his daily needs were going to be met and he was not going to be safe, his mother said. So it's like... Not only consigning people to death, it's also like consigning them to a horrible end of life. And obviously not all or even most disabilities are like terminal situations, but when you need help eating and you don't have that help eating, it becomes terminal because you can't eat. And like, it's just absolutely disgusting. And the, as I said language before- language is so shocking. Like, the value for money, I mean, doesn't that just make it so obvious? Like, yeah. literally, these yeah. people just, the government regards them as money sinks. Yeah, like, totally. It's just so, so dehumanizing, so upsetting. So, Labor has a six-point plan for the NDIS, which listeners might remember Albo got kind of publicly 
owned during the campaign by like a hostile journal, I think from the Australian, uh, asking him what the six points were, which mm-hmm. he couldn't remember off the top of his head, which as far as I'm concerned is completely reasonable for someone who's running a prime ministerial campaign. It's not... You got a guy for that. It's fine. Um, But we've got a whole other guy for it. You seem to me to bond me. He starts in the middle for some reason. (laughs) For some fucking reason. Yeah. Um, Anyway, these are the six points. Uh, Remove NDIA staff cap. Uh, Currently, there's a limit on how many people the NDIA are allowed to hire. So everything takes fucking forever and gets done badly. So obviously that's... I feel like I read... Yeah, it was supposed to... Like, the system was designed to be staffed by 11,000 people. And then under Tony Abbott, they were like... You can have 3,000. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, point two is fewer lawyers, less waste, which I think is just like... So uh, all of these people, well, not all, but huge numbers of people who have plans cut then challenge the mm. procedure. And then the them- NDIA has to spend tens of millions of dollars on lawsuits being on like lawsuits no no it's much cheaper for us to fight this in Sue court than just you. fucking give yeah. you money for care it's literally like yeah like it could be 10 times more money to defend it at the tribunal than, and the tribunal is fucking clogged up because it was it exists for a whole lot of things yeah. um it's the aat which does a bunch of different stuff not just mm. ndia and it wastes everyone's time. Like, just give p- people who need disability funding some money, and then it. And it's you won't fine. have it's this like fucking the problem. same thing in fucking Centrelink. You know, it costs so much money denying people welfare. Just give whatever. Okay, uh, point three is better planning, which I'm sure there's some more like detail on that. But in this case, planning means um, developing the budgets for the participants. So, mm. like, um, not long-term planning for the NDIA or whatever. It means the plans that Care are plans. like, pardon. Care plans. Care plans, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Four, justifying cuts to plans, which seems like, again, why isn't that already on the books? What the fuck? They they just like, nah. The justification is we don't we want to give no. you money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, five is regional service improvements, uh, which makes a lot of sense. There's a huge disparity in what is available for people who have funding in their plans. Mm. And just quietly, uh, one really fucked thing is they'll give money in areas that haven't been asked for when you complain. They're like, look, you've got all of this money that you haven't used. And then at the review, they'll be like, why didn't you spend this money? We're going to cut a bunch of money out. Um, so it doesn't get spent. And then it's used as an excuse to cut further. Cut anyway, yeah. Um, so, but like having more services available in more places will mean there's less money, sort of, not being spent, quote unquote, mm. um, as a result. Yeah. And then six is collaboration with people with disability, which is kind of a bit of a vague s- statement, but is also definitely a good idea if they do do that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds quite sort of non-binding, doesn't it? <laughs> collaboration is, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah um, but like yeah yeah you know it's not a bad idea it's just no, it's, not it's enough definitely of an good idea yeah 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 remove yeah. ndia staff cap that's that's 90 percent of a smart goal yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you we'll can collaborate with, with roughly people. eight thousand more disabil- <laughs> staff, people yeah. with disabilities by employing Hiring them. them yeah yeah um uh, that's kind of the end of the story, but on a personal note, um, this is just a little noonicdote. Um, I contacted my local Labour MP to help me with my NDIS plan, and they're at least vaguely doing that, which is cool. Um, uh, I forget, because I'm deeply cynical, that their job is to help people who they represent to government. And so, like, I just literally heard on radio, someone was like, I called my local member and he helped me with my NDIS thing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I could do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, wheels are turning. Hopefully going to get some uh, good news about that at some point. But yeah, yeah fuck anyway. yeah. Hey, and look, you know, credit, credit where it's due to the local MP. Sometimes they help a person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, they haven't actually helped yet. <laughs> but they definitely, like... Well, whatever. I don't need to get into details. They, they they got the attention of, like, the complaints department for people who we actually care what they think. Um, mm. 
rather than the complaints department for people with disabilities, uh, which is wow, obviously completely separate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, that is good. Yeah, thanks, that guy. Well, fingers crossed for that NDIS Skrilla coming your mm-hmm. way. Well, I think that's it. I think you're right. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Tell your friends. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, share. Facebook, Season Instagram. Far-right Australian Twitter. politics podcast. <laughs> uh, we share really like what we do. premier memes. Don't listen to him. If you really like what we do, you can sign up to our patreon.com slash OzPolSnackPod, $1 a month, monthly bonus episode, plus other stuff at higher Access tiers. to our Discord, you can talk to me about my conspiracy theories about the Kingkiller Chronicles and other sci-fi novels. Yes. Fantasy novels. And also, hey, if you really like us, leave us a review. Go over and do that on Apple Podcasts. It'll be a huge help to us. We haven't gotten a review in weeks now. They yeah. Help us out a lot. Help we read down find on the, the show. show. Yeah, you know, it's it bumps nice us up the iTunes us. charts. Yeah. You can also give us that five-star rating over on Spotify too. Oh, I need to shout out someone who gave us a comment who, like, didn't have an Apple ID. Oh, nice. And so left a comment elsewhere. And I think the review was essentially like, this podcast is reminds me of when my brother would barge into my room and yell at me about politics. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, huh. So okay. if that well, was you, <laughs> listener, thank you very much for that thank kind you. comment. We that appreciate it a lot, comment. especially since you had to leave it in some obscure corner of the internet yeah. um, due to being locked out of the Apple infrastructure, um, which, you know, respect to you for keeping your purity in that respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, follow, share, subscribe, donate. Uh, if you've got comment. a friend, partner, whatever, just get their phone, delete all of the other podcasts that they're following, follow us. This is Noon's give favorite piece them. of advice to give people. This is how he introduces himself to people at parties. Hey, can I just look at your phone for a sec real quick, man? Yeah, I'll just take like four minutes. I'm just going to unsubscribe all of these. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't even sweat. Okay. Now it's time for a since we've had a pup date. Yeah. Wherein we tell you about our dogs and what they've been up to. Yeah. Noon, I know you've been having some toilet adventures with yeah. Bagel lately. Yeah. Um, Fill us in. A, a couple of times in the last few weeks, he's tried to pee on me. That's um, rude. It's rude. It's Very rude. rude. As you said, you've sometimes seen Dante do that with other, other... people at the dog park. But it's right. just—it's sort of like he seems to be in, in in this heightened state of excitement where he doesn't totally. really know what he's doing. He's not and sure if it's a tree. It's just a yeah. vertical surface, and yeah. he's like, "I'm going for it." Yeah. yeah. But yeah. and there's no way to apologize to someone who's just been peed on by a dog where you can make it better. Like, there's no way they're going to be like, "It's fine." <laughs> they just look at you like, "I really wish this hadn't happened." <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, but what's been happening with Bagel is, you know, we've been out on our walks, on the leash, he'll stop, he'll do like the the squat and lean kind of wee, not the leg up wee, but, mm. you know, just kind of on the yeah. edge, the side of the grass strip, just kind of like lean out, and I'll be standing there, okay, good, he's doing a wee, and then he'll just lift his leg up like... The as fake if out. I, the fake out. He's this like, is a, I'm just going to wait for Noon to get comfortable. Strategy. He's done it multiple times. He, this is the old bagel bait and switch. <laughs> you think I'm popping a squat? No, I'm popping that well, leg. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going all up on your knee. Watch your cuffs. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, what's, uh, what's Dante been doing? Well, when when I take him, take him out for walks, like, I don't know if bagel is particular about the spot in which he takes a poo. But Dante, like, it's very clear when he needs to take a poo because he kind of increases his pace by, like, 25% and just... Pulls sharply over to any little grassy spots? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so I'm like, okay, it's poo time. Here we go. Here's a perfect little, you know, nature strip or whatever for you. And then he'll just kind of, like, turn in a circle Mm -hmm. repeatedly but also, like consistently getting further and further away from me right right (laughs) like trying to stand still they very insistently struggle you back a little bit yeah 
it's it's a whole it's whole it's just like dude you're moving like they look at you so resentfully and it's like bro you've got the whole leash all... why do you want to be like one foot past the end of the leash and like seriously how is 30 centimeters this way or that way going to make a difference in terms of where you shift just go for it all right dante has this thing where he hasn't done it for a while but he used to quite reliably shit and then kick the shit like great all over the place um which has resulted in some yeah some very unpleasant poo cleanup scenarios especially Terrible, when he's yeah. like kicks it against someone's fence or whatever and it's just like bagels uh, tried to pee on a car once or twice is it bruh uh, look, I, please don't i try not to let dante pee on like fabrics no <laughs> like, neither car, it's... Yeah, you know what is fences what? i just feel like there's trees there's poles why, there's, there's why lots there's of options white picket fence? yeah Anyway, Sorry, I was out go with Dante, on. Yeah. and uh, he he took a shit, and then and I was like, "Hey, cool! I'm gonna go in to clean it up." And just as I went to, he like got up and kicked the shit with his back legs like directly into a huge pile of leaf litter, which kind of like did disguise them. But then you're like, as a responsible dog owner, I can't. I still got to. Yeah. So I had to like rummage around in the pile of like rotting leaves <laughs> with mm-hmm. the poo bag inverted on my hand trying to find the Scoop warm whatever. chunks like... yeah gross it's it's always really shocking how warm it is I... and it always gives you the feeling of like oh god have my fingers gone through the bag like every time yeah and and i'm and yeah. i imagine you know it must be really pleasant for people walking by to see me like tying up a bag of shit and then studying my hand being like did i is this all good yeah all over me mm. anyway this has been Dog Poo Corner. Uh, <laughs> Oswald Shit Pod. It was the original <laughs> title for this show. We true. had planned. <laughs> it's not even a joke. Literal shit posts. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it. Thanks, us. everybody. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us for the first ever episode of Ospol Snack Pod Conservative Edition Season 2. Mm-hmm. Here's to 147 successful episodes in this season. Amen. And um, hopefully we'll... St- You'll stick with us till season three in 2024. Until then, keep on snacking in the free world. Fuck Martin Hoffman, crunch, crunch. Amen.